You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. The president spoke about building a new economy yesterday in the wake of COVID-19, but it's important to bear in mind the most important change from the pre-COVID-19 South Africa was a lockdown-induced tax collapse of 304 billion rand. Additional funding from the World Bank and other international financial institutions only amounted to about 80 billion in additional resources, not close to the tax revenue deficit. And the ban on cigarette and alcohol sales alone cost the fiscus 10 billion over four months in excise taxes and created an extensive black market market in smuggled goods. And this means a government is, for all intents and purposes, spending money that it doesn't have and has little prospect of generating through tax revenue in the short to medium term. Uh, think that losses uh, incurred by firms who are fortunate enough to survive the COVID-19 pandemic over the lockdown period will be carried over to subsequent years. And you get the picture. And the sheer scale of the brazenly callous COVID-19 related tender corruption that saw political elites benefit while huge numbers of the populace starved will further undermine tax legitimacy and morality. Tax compliance, which sat at just under 70% seven years ago, fell to 65% last year and is set to plummet further as uh, the middle class taxpayers who are facing suspended services or degraded service quality and rolling blackouts bear the brunt of increased administrative prices and they become increasingly disaffected and, in a word, hutful, which may culminate in a tax revolt. Hopefully ETOL resistance uh, isn't important of things to come. Now the precarious balance between the proverbial rock of pro-cyclical fiscal policy and the hard place of debt unsustainability is a difficult one to strike. Did the president strike that balance uh, yesterday? Well, let's uh, find out uh, from our panel today. Busi Mavuso, Chief Executive Officer of Business Leadership South Africa and Board Member of ESCOM. Duma Gabule, who's an economist and founder of KIO Advisory Services, and Hiku Pinar, Chief Economist at the Bureau for Economic Research. Busi, infrastructure investment of 340 billion, rising to 1 trillion rand in four years, 100 billion rand investment over three years, uh, of which 13.8 billion is to be spent by the end of March for 800,000 work opportunities in a mass public uh, employment program. We've got energy security as additional megawatts from renewables, self-gen, and gas come within two years and measures for localization to boost domestic industrialization. It sounds like much of the NEDLAC social compacting has come through in this plan. What do you make of it firstly at a high level? So thank you very much, Michael. So I think the reaction from a business perspective is that we're definitely looking at a plan that is positive. But I think let's agree and let's accept that it has some unrealistic expectations. I think if, for instance, you look at what the president said around the infrastructure and the trillion rands, you know, that is actually going to be sourced in the next four years from capital markets in as far as the infrastructure investment is concerned, you know, you're currently sitting with a situation where there is currently very low commitments, you know, from capital markets. And where there are commitments, there's high conditionalities, you know, that in most cases require a change in the South African policy regime, you know, for those investors who can actually put their money in our system. And I think if you look at what he said, for instance, around energy, you know, let's agree that uh, the 11,800 megawatts, you know, in the next two years is impossible. It's not going to happen, right? Because I guess you sitting with constraints that exist, you know, from a logistical time frame perspective, from working with the NASA, you know, that is serious capacity constraints, 
you know, and there's also no specifics, you know, on the on the liberalization, you know, of the regulatory regime in terms of how we're going to achieve that. I know that there are processes that are currently underway within ESCOM to ensure that we can procure the 2,000 megawatts by uh, June 2021, but that is also highly dependent on what the DMRE, you know, uh, uh, does and how they actually come to the party from an agency and an expediting uh, uh, perspective. Mass uh, employment of 800,000 jobs, I think this is brilliant, but I guess also public works program, Michael, can never be a substitute for dealing with an inefficient policy framework. I think what we need to be focusing on as a country is to what extent do we implement the structural reforms that are actually required to what extent do we ensure that we've got a policy framework that is efficient to allow the private sector to can invest in the economy so that we can therefore create sustainable employment? Because these interventions are a temporary solution. And unfortunately, you know, where we are as a country, you know, looking at our economic trajectory, looking at the serious situation that we're facing from an economic perspective, we are not looking for temporary solutions. We yeah. are looking for permanent solutions that are actually going to be sustainable in the long term. And uh, uh, there were the four main areas that you've touched on there. There was energy, there was infrastructure, the mass employment program, and some of those micro-level reforms and localization, which we'll go through in detail uh, after your opening comments. Duma, it's a plan, and uh, the thing about plans is it's a wish list. It's a lot of we must and we will do. Is this just old wine in new bottles? What are your thoughts? Okay, Michael, there's two things that are new which are quite positive. So the first one is the extension of the grants. The civil society um, argued that um, the grants must be extended for five months until the end of the fiscal year and ideally for 12 months until the basic income grant is brought in. So the three-month extension will cost 17 billion rands. Now the second part of it is the employment plan which um, is basically there was 19.6 billion that wasn't allocated, was provisionally allocated in the budget. So it's a 14 billion rands will create 800,000 jobs. Now, I was a bit skeptical about um, the, the jobs that can be created. I talked to the person who did the strategy and she convinced me that these are real jobs. Half of them will be created in schools and it will require state capacity. I mean, it will require the governing bodies to make the decisions on the employment of the people. But now, if you add those two things, um, Michael, it's. Um, it will create humanitarian relief for millions of South Africans who are poor, but it all adds up to about 0.6% um, of GDP. Now, against the shock that our economy has um, suffered, um, it, is, it is a drop in the ocean. Now, I just have to quickly say that I believe that the response from the government has been totally inadequate. First of all, we should stop talking about a 500 billion loan scheme. As the president himself said, um, this 200 billion loan scheme, um, the bank said, no, it's, they can only do 100, then they changed later, they said they can only do 67, and then now they've only lent 16 billion rands, mm. and the major, of the 16 billion rands, 75% um, went to white business, of course, the Minister of Small Business, and, and this, this long scheme, whichever way you look at it, has been a monumental thing. What I've heard, all the banks have done is to change the loans towards the prime clients who would have got the loans in any way. So I've stopped counting it as part of the stimulus. And then there was supposed to be a government response of 260 billion, which was reduced to 145 billion rands. But from my calculations, by, once, by the end of March, there will be no um, there will be no new money in the system stimulus. So for me, 
the only real part of the stimulus is the 50 billion rands that the UIF spends. So if you add the 50 mm. billion rand and these two things that are new, for me it adds up to 1.6 trillion. Now in terms of the infrastructure, everything I've heard before, 100 billion rands infrastructure fund was announced in September 2018. And I've been writing my business day columns about this missing infrastructure fund that the president talks about. Now they keep changing the numbers of, of how much it is stimulating private sector response. It, initially it was um, 400 billion. No, it's a trillion. And then now they're talking a trillion in 10 years in one part of the document and a trillion in four years in another part of the document. So the document is, is confusing issues with themselves. And then the 2.3 trillion, it wasn't actual projects. It is projects that were evaluated and only 350 billion rands. 340 billion rands were ready to be implemented. Now, the time frame of that 340 billion rands, some of them are long-term, six years. And if you add it up, um, Michael, it doesn't really add up to much. And last thing I want to say is that the president, I, 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 I can't understand this naive, um, what you call, belief that he can Call, you can just say the right things to the private sector and everyone invest. It's, it's a triumph of hope over experience because we've had these investment summits where hundreds of billion rands of pledges have been made, but in the we've had eight out of ten quarters of declining GDP. You can't go to a board and say, I will want an increased investment while the economy is tanking 10%. So this thing is not adding up. I don't believe that the infrastructure, if the, we need a lot more. And then the last thing I want to say, Michael, is that the government is the main reason for the collapsing infrastructure investment. People talk about a private sector investment strike. No, the government has a public sector investment strike. In the five years before COVID, um, state-owned enterprise investments, 26% down, 27% down. General government investment, um, 18% down. So you could mm. theoretically have a situation where private investment increases a little, but then public investment collapses, continues to collapse, and, and then the overall effect will be a, a drop in total investment. So unless the government tells us, how are they going to repair the broken balance sheet of all these, these state-owned companies? How are they going to finance this stimulus? Because from what I read, the entire 340 billion rand, none of it is on the government's um, Government is not going to pay for a cent of this infrastructure. And for mm. me, I think that is totally unrealistic for them not to pay anything. Duma, why don't you tell us what you really feel? No, that, uh, I mean, it's a brutal and, uh, and frank and honest appraisal of where we are. Where you, it's the hope in South Africa that very often kills you. Hehu, at a very high level, what do you take uh, from the reconstruction and recovery plan announced yesterday? Or perhaps I should start by tongue-in-cheek saying I don't think I've ever agreed so much with, with Duma as, I, as that in introductory statements there. Um, so, I mean... South Africa's, if you look historically at South Africa's business cycle upswings, it's not typically driven by private sector fixed investment for the reasons Duma has mentioned. The private sector waits until it sees demand starting to pick up in the economy, demand for its goods, and then it follows through uh, by, by investing. I also certainly agree. Um, I've never bought into this, this story of a private sector uh, investment strike. If the private sector is responsible for 65% of all investment in South Africa, and they've been responsible forever uh, for that sort of, well, not forever, but for a very long time uh, for, for that sort of number. Um, so you, uh, 
so I agree. You, you can't just sort of, you, you can't legislate private sector, let's go and invest. You have to create a conducive environment, right, um, uh, for uh, to entice the, the private sector uh, to invest. Now, I do think, um, I agree with Boosie that the, um, the energy uh, numbers that were put out is, is totally unrealistic. I mean, you, uh, I can't see how you can do 11,800 megawatts by 2022. But if you, and I think this is the positive, that, that we are starting to see uh, the regulators coming to the party. Uh, NERSA has now sort of given their sort of go-ahead. The bid window five is about to be launched. And I think once those steps are there, the private sector will invest um, because they are keen to do these green energy uh, projects. A lot of these projects have already been designed. They were just waiting for the, the regulatory uh, go-ahead. So I think it will happen. Um, I just think the timelines that, that were presented yesterday um, are too optimistic. Busi, on the infrastructure side, uh, what government really needs to do, surely, is open up the playing field, firstly between the public and the private sector, so that, for example, where ESCOM and Transnet had uh, monopolies, that gets opened up for the private sector on a competitive basis. And the real issue here, surely, is that you offer infrastructure projects on that competitive basis, you find capital chasing these projects and bidding down the price, and then for taxpayers, you're getting infrastructure built by the private sector at the lowest possible price in a competitive, open and transparent process that isn't really going to incur the same kind of cost and time overruns that we've seen with the likes of Madupi and Kusili. Was there anything in this plan to give you an indication that that is the, the way government's thinking when it comes to rolling out infrastructure? So I think the one positive thing that definitely came from the plan, and as far as this is concerned, is how the president highlighted the importance of the PFMA, the MFMA reforms, as well as the PPP changes, you know, that the National Treasury is currently looking at. So I'm hoping that there's going to be a serious shift towards how, you know, or what best model of PPP do we actually need to implement in this country. But we also don't need to try and find the best uh, model, Michael, because I think we've got uh, great PPP initiatives that will actually uh, successfully usher, you know, in this country, you know, like the King Albert Lutuli uh, 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 Hospital, you know, in the KZN. So I, I, we just need willingness from government, you know, to ensure that they bring the private sector in in a meaningful way as far as infrastructure is concerned. But I'm worried that as I was listening to what the president is saying, there seems to be a lot of advocacy around the state centrality, you know, in as far as the infrastructure initiative is concerned. But I guess we're going to have to accept that the public or rather government doesn't have deep enough pockets to can actually fund the infrastructure program of this country. So I think to the extent that they can actually acknowledge and realize that, and therefore, you know, try and find these meaningful ways or rather fast track, whatever it is that NT is, uh, NT is doing in as far as the PPPs are concerned, then that's actually going to be, you know, uh, most positive. And I think from a capital markets perspective, global capital market perspective, I, 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 I'm worried that we don't seem to realize that there's been a serious fundamental change and shift in how South Africa has been positioned over the years, you know, uh, from an investment attractiveness, you know, perspective. 
So we need to understand that when we go to these negotiations, you know, with our uh, begging bowls, you know, to the capital markets, you know, we are going to have to be willing to accept some of the conditionalities and some of them might not be, you know, uh, 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 favorable to the South African environment. But I guess, you know, we go to those negotiations understanding that it's not going to be a negotiation of equals, you know, because mm. I think we have lost that plot as a country. We need to understand that we have lost our positioning as the attractive investment destination in the African continent. You know, we've got other players in the African continent that are actually giving us a run for their money. But also in the current environment, there are a lot of emerging economies, Michael, that are doing what we're doing, that are actually trying to get their slice of capital allocation, you know, from the global capital markets. So we are therefore competing in a very tough environment and we are competing with markets that are actually more conducive from a, pro, uh, from a policy framework perspective, which is where we are dismally failing, you know, as a country. So I guess it's going to have to be a give and take and there's going to have to be willingness, you know, from, from, from South Africa to accept what we were not willing to accept before. I mean, we did the same when we took the 70 billion loan from the IMF, you know, which came with conditionalities that we we're not happy with, but we understood that we needed the money and it's not like we're waiting uh, or we have a, a long list of investors that can't wait to invest in the South African market. The reality is that our, you know, situation and our fate as a country has changed. There was a mention, and, and staying on the, the, the kind of fiscal uh, macro side of the equation, uh, Duma, there was a mention of reprioritizing funds um, to poverty alleviation, to infrastructure, and being uh, very much aware that we can't raise too much in terms of new debt. And that speaks to repurposing the budget and shifting funds away from other big uh, ticket items. The, the wage bill has got to be the biggest one at the moment. And uh, that decision seems to have been deferred to the medium-term budget. Uh, I didn't see too much to suggest uh, that the president was drawing a line in the sand between government and, uh, and Kasatu in particular to say we're going to have to start shifting money away from the public wage bill if we want to get greater return on investment by investing in infrastructure. Where, where do you think that decision ultimately rests? You know, um, Michael, I was just, I've been actually looking at this thing in a bit detail. And, you know, the, the money that can be shifted from not paying the increase this year is only 37 billion rands. So we're not talking about a lot of money. This is a, this is, this wage bill is not something that can, you can't change the dial, shift the dial significantly in like one year, two years, three years. It's a long-term process, and I don't think there'll be much savings from that. And I just think that we have to start thinking really creatively about how we're going to finance the, the, the stimulus that we need. And there's many ideas that I've proposed in the past. Um, first of all, um, if you look at the whole SA Inc. balance sheet, um, there's 2.1 trillion in the public investment corporation. I believe it's overfunded. Most um, government employee pension funds are not funded or they are actually funded. And if you assume a 50% funding level, um, you can release um, a lot of money into the economy. Secondly, um, the World Bank chief economist, um, Carmen Rehmbert, was saying, you know, borrowing is um, justified under these conditions. You must, first, you must first fight the virus and then you work out how you're going to pay it later. 
And then the third thing is our central bank can come to the party and provide some of the funding for this, is it 760 billion rand, um, what you call it, deficit this year, and the PIC can come to the party. So we have an SA Inc. approach, and I'm actually really disappointed that they haven't um, become more active on the bond market to bring down the, yield, the, the, the yields further down as they could have done. Yeah. And that will also come down over time as we regain credibility on some of those micro reforms and as we try and inch by inch regain our in investment grade rating uh, from the credit ratings agencies. Heku, on this issue of um, how this gets funded, I suppose uh, that's where the plan will be tested against the medium term budget next uh, week or in two weeks time. Sorry, it's been shifted. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so this is always the question and, you know, I... <laughs> I sometimes have, have some critique in terms of, of the way we do planning, right? We sort of put a plan together, we talk months about it, then it gets announced, and then we, we leave the poor officials at Treasury to, to come up with, with the money, as opposed to perhaps saying, well, let's start from the beginning and say, well, this is the amount that we have available, and then we work our plans um, uh, around that. So I think it, you know, it does put the Treasury in a, in a difficult position um, at, at this late stage to now and go and see how, how they can actually put, put the scheme uh, together. Um, if I could just, if I may, just quickly say one or two things. Um, so I think it is important to put, to put with the World Bank and the IMF uh, to nuance what they are saying on, on spending. So they are saying it's right. They are saying yes, spend more in these conditions. But it's crucial what you spend your money on. So you should be spending stuff that raises your tax base or your potential GDP over time. So these would be things like um, on infrastructure that we are, are planning to do. It's certainly not on current expenditures. So there's a specific line on this in the latest World Economic Outlook. Um, and I also, um, I mean, we will save a hell of a lot of money. Um, uh, 40 billion rand is not nothing if you if you're on a unsustainable path and of course it's not just 40 billion in one year right I mean it's 40 billion every year that that you save um, if you freeze the wasteful so then it does start to, to add up to 160 billion rand over three uh, four years um, so again if you and just to say we're not going to have finality on this in the mini budget or in the October budget statement. This is now in the courts. Um, uh, the negotiations for the next three years have been postponed until we have clarity from from the courts on on this. Um, so the unions versus government. So I'm afraid there's not going to be clarity on on this for the foreseeable future. But as as long as it in the courts, it does give the treasury. I think the opportunity to assume basically a freeze on, on that wage bill going forward. The risk, of course, is if we get three, four months down the line and the courts came out against government and they now have to back pay, I mean, then we have a problem, right? Because um, now you, then you may have provided more funds for to finance this um, recovery project 
And then on top of it, for me, is, is a real risk on a, on a six to 12 month uh, mm. view. Mm. And then lastly, Busi, on micro reforms and also this idea of reindustrializing the economy through local procurement, it's certainly not a new idea. Uh, we've been talking about this for a very long time in South Africa, trying to direct a buy local campaign for businesses. And my concern is if you're not competitive, if you're not producing the lowest cost goods and you uh, force businesses to go and buy local, you're just upping their cost base and you're making them uncompetitive. Surely this is just barking up the wrong tree. Absolutely. And this is why it's not going to happen, Michael. So unless there is an imposition of large tariffs on imports to make local production cheaper, then I think this buying local campaign without a supportive environment is actually not going to happen. So there is a lot that we're going to have to do as a country from a dumping practices perspective, from the cheap substitutes that we get from China and other Asian markets, you know, and in dealing with those, you know, to ensure that we can actually uh, protect the local market as it were. So, but then shouting localization without those interventions in place it is, it, it is definitely a no-no because I guess let's agree, you know, that there is no business that is actually going to increase their unit cost of production, you know, uh, just for the sake of being patriotic. You know, businesses exist for a very specific reason, you know, and it is for 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 to ensure that there is a potential to make profits, you know, and to the extent that there is that potential to make profits and therefore, you know, the local uh, producers are, are, are somehow protected and we can buy from them, then definitely that is going to happen. Mm. So uh, I, it, it, it's also a pipe dream in, 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 in my view. It can be achieved, but I guess we need DTIC to come in and, and, and ensure that there are those interventions that they put in place to achieve that. Michael. Yeah, there was uh, the program, the MCEP, the Manufacturing Competitiveness Enhancement Program, very well subscribed, and then the budget for that was removed uh, to help ensure that firms are competitive. Uh, 20 seconds, I want you all to give me a score out of 10. Busi, starting with you uh, for the plan yesterday, what would you score it out of 10? From a positivity perspective, it's a 7, but from a realism perspective, it's a 3. Duma? 3. Three. Hiku? Yeah. Yeah, I sort of agree with Busia. I mean, if, if for, for positive spin, I mean, I would give it 8 out of 10. But in terms of <laughs> whether it will be implemented, yeah, uh, 5 and less, I would imagine. So we're averaging about a 4 then, and that's really uh, the bottom line. Thank you very much uh, to today's panel uh, discussing the reconstruction and recovery plan. Busi Mabuso, CEO of Business Leadership South Africa and board member of ESCOM, Duma Gabule, economist and founder of KAO Advisory Services, and Hiku Pina, chief economist at the Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, there's a very interesting breakdown of what we spend uh, on uh, in this country. For every 10 rand of government expenditure, more than 3 rand is on transfers, uh, about 3 rand on the public wage bill, and 1 rand on debt. And the remaining 3 rand is supposed to cover goods and services and infrastructure. Now, I think it's a no-brainer as to what we should be doing to ensure that we get growth going.